Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am. And we just heard from Sally with the show Out of the Pan. And uh, yeah, some yeah best of Sally's doing. And hopefully, hopefully Sally's having a nice break if she's listening in. So today's show, we're going to cover a bunch of different topics. So we're going to cover Invasion Day and animal advocacy. So yeah, yesterday was, yeah, I guess, the official day, uh, according to the government, is Australia Day. But many uh, Indigenous people use other terms like Invasion Day and Survival Day, which we'll get on to. We're also going to cover Maori veganism, with John Pawson, who yeah, he's got to explain how he um, connects veganism to his Maori culture in um, New Zealand or Aotearoa, to use the Maori name. And the second half of the show, we're going to cover some animal and vegan-related news stories. So, yeah, I am joined by Adam Carlini, my co-host. Thanks for coming in, Adam. Ahoy, thank you. And I'm Nick Pendergast hosting today. We'll probably have one more person coming in. We'll let you know when she gets in. But, uh, yeah, we're going to start off with a bit of the – talking a little bit about – invasion day so 26th of january this has been something there's been a lot of community announcements on this show and uh yeah a bunch of other shows as well uh, about this day and the protests against i believe there was um yeah 3cr broadcasting all day yesterday about this day um, but yeah, yesterday was the Invasion Day rally in Melbourne and, and many different places around Australia. I was at the Melbourne one, but I guess this is challenging the idea that this day was the founding of Australia because it neglects a lot of Indigenous history in Australia a long time before that, um, as well as all the uh, problems for Indigenous people, the violence and violence that indigenous people face um with this invasion i guess use that term invasion day um yeah that happened yeah from from that point onward so that is why in, in a nutshell i guess why many indigenous people don't celebrate australia day and instead use terms like australia uh, so survival day and invasion day so yeah we're also joined now by katie batty who's my partner and sometimes co-host thanks for coming in katie yeah no worries sorry I'm running late oh good and we're talking a little bit about invasion day i'm going to link it to animal advocacy in a second but i just wanted to give a brief recap of the of the day yesterday so i was there at the protest uh, and yeah there was one at one point the organizer said there was possibly eighty thousand people there it's always once you get above a certain number it's always really hard to tell there was definitely many thousands there um i saw something from which is the Whistleblowers and Citizens Alliance are one of the groups involved in it, estimated at least 40,000. Apparently, a lot of media outlets said a lot lower than that. But either way, there was a very large uh, group there, tens of thousands of people in Melbourne uh, supporting the Invasion Day, um, yeah, supporting the Abolish Australia Day event. And basically, one, just one point I want to make about the event is that often these events are sort of said seen as divisive in that all Australians come together and celebrate Australia Day uh, and these sort of events are kind of divisive but I actually found quite the opposite to that so there was many different groups in solidarity with Indigenous Australians so for example there was uh, banners about like Asian Australians against colonisation um, also Jewish people so there was a, one of the banners was something like Jewish people against genocide
genocide from um, Germany to Palestine uh, to Australia. So making those connections between different issues as well. Also, indigenous people in solid solidarities with refugees as one sign that said something along the lines of the only boat I want to stop is the Endeavour reenactment. Talking about the <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in solidarity with refugees. So yeah, there's real like you know wide range of different groups, trade unions as well, a wide range of different groups of actually coming together in solidarity. Queer groups. You said there were a lot of yeah, groups. many yeah. queer groups. Um, and yeah, people in solidarity with yeah all kinds of different people in solid solidarity with indigenous people and also against racism and and colonization everywhere as well. So yeah, I thought it was a real actually very like inclusive and yeah very uh, very much in solidarity a wide range of different groups. So yeah, I guess that is uh, Invasion Day in a nutshell. Is there anything either you wanted to add or we move on to animal advocacy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the, the, you you mentioned you didn't see any specific like animal rights against um, you know colonization or anything like that, but obviously a lot of vegans going down and animal rights people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yeah, that's what I wanted to touch on now. Obviously, we're in animal advocacy shows. I want to talk a bit about animal advocacy and how that relates to this day and, and what can often go on that day. So, one thing I did notice um, there was a Vegan Australia Day 2019 in Brisbane, and they made this the 20th of January. And um, Katie, do you want to read this quote here? Invasion Day and Animal Advocacy are so the Vegan yep. Australia Day team. So, yeah, yeah no just worries. their explanation. The Vegan Australia Day team is inviting all Australian citizens and everybody else to celebrate Australia Day before the government's official appointed Australia Day celebration date out of respect and solidarity to all Indigenous groups as many Indigenous communities have asked for. Mm. And so I thought this was definitely uh, an improvement. A lot of um, when I've seen in the past, just a lot of vegan groups have just gone, you know, let's have a vegan Australia Day on the 26th and just totally neglecting the... Were they the calling rest- for like vegan barbecues on that day? Yeah, that, like that? that's been done Yeah, a yeah. number of different times. So I thought that was an improvement. Um, and yeah, I don't want to say that it is good that they're considering the Indigenous issue, but I also wanted to clear something up as well that was a common mis- misperception, at least of the Melbourne event obviously there's a number of different events and different messaging from all the different events but the Melbourne event was very clear they weren't actually calling to change the date and that was a common misperception uh, from the media and others about this event so yeah they were very clear about that but still the media report mm. like this many people were marching to change the date and I did see some change the date signs but they weren't at the front in terms of the indigenous people leading the rally and in their messaging on their Facebook event page that kind of thing they're very clear they weren't calling to change the date uh, there's a number of different r- number of reasons for that but one speaker at the rally said they can change the date and we'll still be here calling for an end to aboriginal deaths in custody so we can change the date of this day and that may be preferable to many people but it's not the end game i guess there mm-hmm. there is mm-hmm. ongoing racism uh, it's not just a matter of changing this day and then we've got this great country. There's a lot of Indigenous mm-hmm. disadvantage um, and uh, racism and oppression that they face. So that was a, a key thing. So I'd argue for, again, that was definitely a positive to see uh, animal advocates acknowledge and try and be considerate of Indigenous people. But I think in terms of this day, I think the best thing is just to not have an Australia Day celebration at all in solidarity with those Indigenous groups calling to abolish Australia Day, which again was the main message coming out of the Melbourne event. And what was the event called? Was it called Abolish Australia Day? Like the main Facebook event and the event yeah, that was publicised? Yeah, I believe yeah. that. Yeah, or at least that was like Invasion Day, hashtag Abolish Australia yeah. Day. That, that was the main thing rather than change I guess date. we're used to that as animal rights activists that look at more radical change, that mm-hmm. the messaging can get completely skewed from what you actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certainly like 
when we've done animal rights activism, we're pushing for more radical changes and looking at the overall like systemic oppression and abolishing that. And I think that's definitely what what that's what obviously the most Aboriginal people are pushing for, as well as um, when they um, went met at Uluru and talked about what they actually wanted. Like it wasn't just about having Aboriginal people mentioned in the constitution. It went a lot further than that. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, obviously there's differences between social movements, but in in most social movements, we factions of more moderate aspects, more radical aspects, and and yeah, definitely the Melbourne one was definitely been uh, yeah it was led by the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, who were definitely trying to push it before just uh, push it beyond more than token reform. So if anyone is in, interested in that idea of change the date versus abolish Australia Day, um, Celeste Little, who was one one of the you know, people there leading this event. Uh, she's written an article, This Invasion Day March for the Future, that is at eurekastreet.com.au. So people can search that article if they're interested in, in more about why yeah, why the message is abolish Australia Day rather than change the date. Uh, and I also wanted to mention for animal advocates who want to know more about these issues of uh, race and racism, sov- sovereignty, self-determination, those kind of things, you can listen to the Tuesday Breakfast Summer School. And so that is Tuesday, 7 till 8.30 a.m. every Tuesday. And if you're like me and not up, up at that time, you can catch it at 3cr.org.au forward slash Tuesday hyphen breakfast. And that basically gets a lot of these academic, sort of terms or big, big important terms and actually breaking them down for a general audience. I think that's really important. And I think for animal advocates, we've had a lot of discussion on this show about minimum standards. And I think we don't necessarily have to go to the point where we're advocating for Indigenous rights, although I definitely welcome that. But in terms of minimum standards, I think we have to learn enough about Indigenous issues so we're not contributing to racism in our campaigns. We're not contributing to colonialism at the very least, not so we mm. can't do more. Uh, and yeah, I think there's... A quote by the famous historian Howard Stin, Howard Zinn, sorry, you can't be neutral on a moving train. I think sometimes animal advocates were like, we're not going to get involved with politics, we're just going to do veganism. And we actually just, where society's already sort of moved in this colonial direction and by not, you know, by not being in solidarity with Indigenous people and just having a vegan barbecue on so-called Australia Day, um, we're actually supporting colonisation. So we, we, you can't actually be, be neutral. Uh, yeah, a lot of... You know, because the Indigenous population is so small in Australia, most vegans are non-Indigenous people, so we're benefiting from colonisation and white privilege. Mm-hmm. And so, and also the idea that you can be, for me, being a vegan is a, it's a political statement. So we're we're making political statements every day in our lives. And so to be like, oh, I stay out of politics, is kind of really silly to me. Yeah, and speaking of Indigenous people and veganism, uh, that's a good link to after the song we're going to play here, we're going to actually have uh, John Pawson discussing Maori veganism and how he connects his veganism to his Maori culture as well. So we're going to play an Invasion Day-related song. This is Kev Carmody, Thou Shall Not Steal, and then we'll be back discussing or covering Maori veganism after this. In 1788 down Sydney Cove, First boat people land and they say, Sorry boys, I gained your love, swear, gonna steal your land. If you break down your British law, sure, you're gonna hang. Work your life like a combi, with a chain on your neck and hands, and they taught us, Whoa, black woman, I shall not steal you. Have you ever wondered about the meaning of the terms identity politics? intersectionality, turf, or institutional racism. Same here. This summer, Tuesday Breakfast is going back to school to answer these questions and more. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, writers, activists, and people with lived experiences 
to share their knowledge on decolonization, sovereignty and self-determination, race and identity, sexuality and gender, and disability and accessibility. Knowledge shouldn't be locked away at a university, so let us bring it to you. Tune into Summer School, Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting the 8th of January, 855am or via 3cr.org.au. And check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details. You're listening to Freedom of Species, bringing you animal advocacy on the airwaves of 3CR. And we're going to cover Maori veganism now with a voicemail from John Pawson, who is a vegan in Aotearoa, um, sort of a colonial term, is, is New Zealand. And yeah, uh, John actually sent this voicemail to Team Earthling podcast hosted by Luke and Stevie, which is not going anymore, but he sent it back when that uh, podcast was active. And yeah, I thought this was important or just a, a good thing to play when we're talking about indigenous issues and then we're going to be talking about animal issues later on and I know me and Adam gave a workshop uh, a while ago talking about the environment and animals and a lot of the discussion sort of uh, ended up uh, in terms of indigenous people and eating animals and these kind of things and one point someone made who was attending our workshop made the point that often a lot of these discussions and, and they definitely are important to address indigenous perspectives on the environment and animals and these kind of things but a lot of them are sort of framed a lot of the critiques of veganism within environmental spaces for example are often with, within this dichotomy of white people are vegan indigenous people eat animals and what that overlooks is obviously some indigenous people are vegan and also most white people do eat animals so it's sort of an incorrect dichotomy and I'd go even further than that and argue that in western countries that are uh, majority white there's actually the highest levels of animal consumption in countries that have higher levels of people of colour there is actually lower levels of animal consumption so I think white people should be more associated with eating animals more than veganism um, but anyway I thought we'd play this um, it was a yeah, really interesting perspective on yeah, how John, how, how his veganism um, connects to his Maori heritage and, and how he can um, sort of frame and reframe his veganism uh, within these terms. So here is John on Maori veganism. I've been asked by Stevie and Luke to share some of my whakaro, my thoughts on my veganism and what it means to me as a form of decolonization. Firstly, I'd like to say that in my mind, decolonization is not a practice restricted to indigenous peoples. As a Māori, I want to incorporate the tikanga, the protocols, and the mātauranga, the knowledges, of my tipuna, my ancestors, into my life and the lives of my loved ones. The gifts of tikanga and mātauranga that my tipuna have left to me are invariably devalued and illegitimized by the majority Western culture I live in. I have to remove myself and my thinking from that culture in some way and reintegrate those ways and knowledges of my ancestors to decolonize as a Māori. But... I am also a Pākehā, a descendant of European migrants. As a dual heritage person, I don't just interact with the world as a Māori, but simultaneously as a Pākehā. And this is what I mean when I say that decolonization isn't restricted to indigenous peoples. As a person, I seek to decolonize my mindset from that very particular system of beliefs and values that maintain hegemony over my life. Decolonizing is a practice we should all engage in, because we are all colonized in some way. It is often subtle, invisible, and hard to identify. Whether it's a racist, sexist, speciesist idea that we've taken for granted as truth, we often reinforce and perpetuate those colonized notions. The Crime Think Collective, in their book Expect Resistance, says, and I paraphrase, 
We are not to blame for this any more than the ocean can be blamed for being polluted. And I agree with that. Being colonised isn't our fault, but once you identify your colonisation, it's up to you to work towards decolonising yourself. Veganism comes into play here. For me, veganism is an act of decolonisation. It forced me to see that I had been colonised by the animal agriculture industries, the meat and dairy giants, to see the world in a particular way. To me, the consumption of animals is a normative illusion. Those who consume animals see my lifestyle as illegitimate because it doesn't conform to a pre-existing norm, namely that of animal consumption. This is why omnivores speak with such authority when they dismiss me. They believe in a certain ideology that is culturally determined, inculcated unconsciously, and is so deep-seated as to be seen as truth, which is why omnivores dismiss my arguments so readily and defend their dietary habits so viciously. Animal consumption is so central to their lives that they cannot envisage a reality in which it may be wrong. That's not just cognitive dissonance, that's psychic revolt. Veganism is an act of decolonization precisely because it forced me to see that at least one part of the prevailing cultural norm is a lie, and if one part is false, there may be other parts which are also. In many ways, decolonization is a mental act, an alteration of the lens with which you view the world. Reading literature, spending time in contemplation, listening to podcasts like Team Earthling and Progressive Podcast Australia, The Species Barrier and Citizen Radio, which I consider my top four, these things helped me to reshape my critical lens, forcing a break from consensus reality. If everyone takes for granted that the only way to get adequate iron is from the consumption of red meat, that becomes the norm. My critical lens forces me to step outside that orthodoxy and objectively evaluate it. Do a bit of research, then look at it again. Finding it to be false, I reject it. Once you see that certain truths aren't really true at all, you may begin to see that Western culture itself is like a house of cards. And if you examine a number of the cards and find them lacking, it's not long before that house begins to look a little bit flimsy. The way I view my veganism and how it informs my worldview in regards to the consumption of animals is similar to how I view a number of the norms of Western culture. If the way that I related to animals as a food was a cultural construct and false, what else is false? The way I relate to other humans, non-humans, the environment, the way I relate to economic and political systems of society. As a Māori, my ancestors left to me a number of ways of relating to the world. Unfortunately, a lot of what indigenous peoples know about themselves comes from colonial literature. We come from primary oralities, or oral cultures, and it was the colonizer who took our stories and wrote them down. Thus, in many ways, it is the colonizer who defines us. We sometimes take our cues for what is tuturu, or what is real or authentic, from depictions written by outsiders who were laden with their own ideologies of European superiority. This can be problematic, because just as raising the issue of veganism with omnivores gets their backs up, so too can the alarm be raised by the suggestion that what we think of as authentic may be false in some regards. My ancestors ate flesh, and not just non-human flesh, I might add. But they also understood the idea of sustainability. They had concepts such as ra prohibitions or restrictions that they placed on areas of the taiao, the environment, for spiritual or material reasons. In order not to overfish an area, they would place a rahui over it for a certain amount of time. If a resource ran out, went extinct, and there were no alternatives, my ancestors wouldn't survive. Hence, rahui were extremely important. And in some cases, if you transgress the rahui, you would be punished with death. We as vegans know the damage that animal agriculture causes to the earth. It is unsustainable and irresponsible. A continuation of it will hasten our demise. The data shows this. I believe that my ancestors wouldn't have denied this when faced with the truth of the matter. And for the continued survival of their people, 
of Papatua Naku Mother Earth and the creatures of the world, they would have placed that ahui on the consumption of ngā kararehe, ngā tini atangaroa, ngā manu, te aetanga pepeke, that is, the animals, sea life, birds and insect life. If they die, we die. My ancestors would have known this and acted accordingly. So as a Māori, I reject the status quo in this regard. It's a double rejection of the status quo on one hand, of imperialist Western dietary habits on the other. I place arahui over animal consumption in my own life. From the outset, there are a few things that make it seem quite difficult to reconcile my veganism with my taha Māori or my Māori side. Traditional foodstuffs such as wood pigeons, mutton birds and seafood, and traditional art forms like fakairo, carving, that used stranded whalebone or in contemporary times uses the bones of cows. And that cow bone is sure to be a byproduct of the animal agriculture industry. But regardless of how I see my veganism, I definitely take it as an act of decolonization, a way of exerting my tinorangatiratanga, my sovereignty over my own life and taking control of at least one part of it. I'm just at the beginning of this lifelong journey as a vegan. So too am I just starting to think of how this relates to my identity as a Ngāti Pro, a Māori. So there's a long way to go and a lot to think about and a lot of reconciling to do. But at no point do I forget that I'm vegan for the animals. While I'm trying to work through this for my own person i never forget that i'm primarily vegan for them thanks very much to john for allowing us to replay that email uh, email that voicemail and also to team earthling as well for giving us permission to play that i think that's really really great to play and yeah i, I did want to also acknowledge that obviously we're not equating maori culture with indigenous australia culture there's of course big differences between the two and also big differences within maori people and maori groups and indigenous australian groups but it's just one person's perspective on on how these these uh, kind of things can go together and there obviously are similarities in terms of colonization and efforts to decolonize as well and even John's use of Maori language there is a yeah is an act of decolonization of, of moving back from the colonial language and trying to incorporate incorporate the original Maori language but yeah we've got a quick message that uh, John wanted to be read out with this voicemail sure so if there are any Maori or Pacifica vegans or non-vegans that are interested in veganism who want a forum that's more aligned with your cultural values, search for Maori and Pacifica vegans on Facebook. I know there are an increasing number of young Maori growing up in Australia who are disconnected from their culture and land here in Aotearoa. And if you're interested in veganism, it'd be a good place to explore what it means to us as Maori and Pacifica Pacific peoples. And we will add a link to that Facebook group in the show notes of this episode at freedomofspecies.org if anyone is interest, interested in that. And on a side note, I did actually, just looking for an image for this show, I did just uh, quickly Google Maori veganism. and it was, There was just so many articles coming up about the rise of Maori veganism and increasing Maori people to become vegan. So, yeah, it's really interesting. And I definitely put the word out to John that is something we could maybe cover in more detail as well with uh, John or perhaps someone else from that group as well. So, yeah, very interesting stuff. And and if you were interested in that, there is a conference coming up um, in Aotearoa or New Zealand. So it's called Decolonizing Animals. It's from July the 1st to the 4th, 2019 in Christchurch, Aotearoa. If you're interested in that conference and looking more at these ideas of how decolonization intersects with the issue of animals, you can find all the information at animalstudies.org.au. So, yeah, in the second half of the show, we're going to cover a bunch of vegan and animal-related news stories. We're going to, yeah, we'll cover a bunch. We've got about half the show to do that. But before we do that, we're going to actually have a bit of uh, vegan stand-up comedy from the comedian Mike Kaplan. So, yeah, we'll play that, and then we'll have some news stories on the other side. 
As a vegan, people think you're weak sometimes, because look, but I will... I'll fight anybody here in like, I don't know, 40, 50 years when I'm still alive and you're not, probably, because... I read a statistic that said vegetarians live an average of seven years longer than non-vegetarians. Vegans live up to 15 years longer because we're not invited anywhere fun or dangerous. So we sit at home crying and drinking. Careful not to cry directly into the drink because tears are a product of animal suffering. We're not allowed to have. <sighs> my name is Ruby Susan Mouth. My pronouns are they. You're listening and... to 3CR Radical Radio, and that was Binday with Stella, Rosie, and Claudia on. Hello, I'm Liz Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking at Me and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Orbenji, who are some of the Did you miss our 12 hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical Disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2018 and listen back anytime. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR and yeah, we've covered an Invasion Day protests and animal activism. We've also um, heard from John Pawson talking about Maori veganism and in the second half of the show we're going to be covering some vegan and animal related news stories. I did want to quickly mention though if anyone enjoyed that comedy from Mike Kaplan, um, you can check out all his uh, CDs. That was from a different a bunch of different CDs, but his CDs, podcasts, etc. at MikeKaplan.com and that is spelled M-Y-Q, so M-Y-Q-K aplan.com if you're interested in checking out more of his comedy and as Adam said they're good if there's more of that stuff out there he's um, not so much a vegan comedian I'd say a more comedian who happens to be vegan um, but yeah so a lot of this content is not vegan related but yeah veganism is a, is vegan and veganism is a top up topic that comes up in I think about all of his albums so yeah well worth checking out yeah yeah, so the first news story is one that Adam's found. Do you want to mention that? I thought this was a great one. Or, yeah. or, or not great, but I don't know. Great, a good great, one great. to discuss yeah, anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so as um, anyone listening in Australia will know, especially the um, East Coast, we're going through a pretty bad drought or parts of the East Coast are going through a, a quite a bad drought. So mm. we're not getting much rain and there's lots of people, um, especially sort of north of north of Melbourne all the way up to Queensland and whatnot who are experiencing significant droughts and have been for a long time now and I was driving into work on Thursday listening to ABC radio and they had a five minute bit on um, called agribusiness continues to close due to drought and oversupply and the agribusiness they were talking to in particular was the second largest free-range pig farm um, in New South Wales, I think it was, um, or Queensland, sorry, in Queensland. Mm. And there, it, was, it was really interesting because the person who was speaking 
Um, they're obviously going through a hard time and they're having to change their business. But the way that they spoke about um, the pigs that they were no longer able to slaughter uh, was very interesting. Mm. And uh, I think we've got a clip. We do, yep. Yeah. So this uh, clip we're going to play, this is from the ABC Radio Adelaide story out of mention and it starts with one of the owners of this free-range pig farm. The drought's just, uh, it's finally got us. The rising costs of grain and the rising costs of production, we just can't carry on. Even though our sales are strong, it's just we, we've got to make some money off the enterprise and living off nothing, it just doesn't work. The Powells built their North Burnett business after a feisty Bloor's afternoon escapade ended with 60 piglets. At its peak, the farm had close to 600 pigs of specialty breeds, from large blacks to Berkshires. <laughs> Now just a dozen are left on the farm. We've kept some of our old favourites and, uh, yeah, just it's just very hard when you've bought something up right from birth and she's been a good producer for you and then you've had to bop her on the head, not through any fault of her own, it's just we couldn't afford to feed her. We cried. We cried and cried and cried. Just dropping those sows off was really hard. Yeah, so... The, <laughs> Unbelievable. Where do we begin? Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting that um, they... They talk about um, that it, they had to bop her on the head, not through any fault of her own, because of the drought, rather than... I, I imagine they're actually um, still killing those pigs and sending them off to market. Well, they mentioned yeah. they were selling bacon and ham and that kind yeah. of thing, so... She yeah. was going to die at one point when she was no yeah. longer productive. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the, produ the, the production of a pig is only ever through its growth and killing and making into ham. You don't, mm. you don't get... And um, she said sow, so I'm guessing, okay, yes. so, yeah. um, you know, she's being forcibly impregnated and then her babies are being taken away and slaughtered. Mm. And it's like, oh, you've been a good producer, as in you've been popping out all these yes, babies. Like, just imagine if we, if you put this in the context for women, if women were being caged and forcibly impregnated and their babies taken away from them and slaughtered and you go to her, that woman, and I think The Handmaid's Tale is like, really should make people think about this when you've, if you've read the book or you've watched the series, um, that sh you're saying, well, you've been a good producer. Like in The Handmaid's Tale, they have to keep having the babies and if they don't, they're punished for it. And so it would be like saying, well, you're popping out the babies, but unfortunately we've, through no fault of your own, we've got to kill you anyway. Mm. And kind, just, kind of implying that it was a fault of their own if they'd been killed for their flesh or for the mm. profit of that industry. And if yeah, they weren't producing yeah. babies, they'd be killed. And that would be their fault. Mm. You know, if, if you're barren, that would be your fault. But, oh, you've, you've been, you know, you've been getting pregnant against, you know, against your will and the baby's been popping out. You're doing a great job, but we've got to kill you. That they cried? That mm. they cried? But Do I, they I not cry when they kill her babies? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose this is this is the complexity of the issue that we face as vegans. That we we need to recognise that these people do, in some way, love or believe that they love the as animals that are on in, in their care, not very good care, but in their care, and that they have responsibility for. That it does certainly impact them. But whether it's an impact um, because of the animals, it, it's also so much tied up in into. Um, their ability to continue working in that industry. You know, they've mm. got a lot of emotions tied up into being pig farmers, free-range pig farmers, mm. and um, the the killing of those sows also, I suppose, speaks to the killing and the, the ending of that stage of their lives. And it's just a very complicated, very strange 
um, sort so of bizarre. mix of um, hypocrisy. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to make about 600 points here, but maybe <laughs> uh, just, I know there's so much to say there, but yeah, I guess there's the the idea of like being a good producer and we've kind of covered this idea of like human privilege and speciesism, discrimination against animals and the idea like they're only useful, you know, to the dominant groups or animals aren't valuable in their own right. They're only valuable to the extent they can profit humans. Um, and yeah, I guess that speaks to the producer. And also I wanted to highlight the speciesist language, which uh, Emma or another co-host uh, covered a while ago and checked that for any of species on speciesist language. We've brought something up from birth. So that- mm. Yeah, something that, not- Someone. objectifying language which they use um and the other thing that um is sort of interesting is that they the grain is getting too expensive to keep these individuals alive mm. and i imagine if you if you were talking about your dogs who you love or your your other animals that you share a home with it wouldn't get to a point where it becomes too expensive you figure it out you don't mm. you don't just bop your kids on the head because they <laughs> no longer well, exactly it's too expensive to feed them i mean some people some people do give their kids away if they can't afford it. This person did not give them, give those um, fine. You're saying like human those. kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say it would be very rare. Yeah. Um, being someone that does some child protection work, it's usually they're taken away. Like if. Yes. But yeah. I mean, then, then what do we do as a society? We have food banks mm. and we have services and it's like, well, we don't want children to starve. But speaking of that, there's also, um, it was delivered today, there was a big, I kept on hearing it on the radio, um, I think it was like 6,000 bales of hay coming over from uh, Western Australia being shipped over to drought-stricken farmers in New South Wales or Eastern Australia at least um, on Invasion Day weekend or Australia Day. Mm -hmm. And to help farmers get through this drought, help them keep individuals on their farms so that they can kill them at some point <laughs> and and make money off their flesh if we were using the grain that she is finding too expensive to feed to the pigs in other ways and we weren't actually directing it to the pigs at all and the pigs weren't there to start with then we wouldn't have as much of an issue i don't think it's so food. much more efficient to yeah. feed that grain directly to humans mm -hmm. and to live off plants as opposed to feeding that grain to animals that are then killed if you i, I can't remember the exact statistics around this in terms of how much grain it depends on it's, the it's animal but I, it's I, quite inefficient yeah it's very inefficient yeah, yeah. no it's, matter what it's, it's more efficient to directly feed that to humans mm, yes. i think it's something like yeah again adam's the expert on this but I, i've seen figures somewhere between like five to twelve times more efficient yeah. to eat plant depending on what you're looking at yeah yes, exactly yeah. and i mean we wouldn't want the pigs to just starve you know yeah. if we were in in charge of the world we'd want these pigs to naturally die out and be taken care of mm -hmm. um but they've been created by humans from wild pigs to be domesticated and to live completely you know under our rule and be um you know mm -hmm. the same way that we've done with turkeys and chickens and you know they just shouldn't exist obviously we don't want them to starve but it's just the idea that they're talking about all these animals dying on the news and the farmers are really upset, but it's only because they're dying in a way that's not profitable to them. Yes. Mm, yeah, exactly. They were going to die anyway. That was their point. They were raised to die, mm. you know, um, and it's just they're not dying at the what they think is the right time for them to make money off them. Not dying yeah. at the slaughterhouse. Yeah. yeah. I don't die yeah. at the slaughterhouse, I don't get a buck. And it it's a tragedy all of a sudden, yeah. And I think going back to that Howard Zinn quote, you can't be neutral on a moving train, this story is from ABC, mm -hmm. which is prides itself on being neutral 
neutral and what neutral means in a species society is basically portraying things like these tragedies towards animals as actually a tragedy towards a farmer for a human so same as when we see you know a slaughterhouse burns down or something it's like oh what a tragedy the farmers have lost all this profit so it's like it's preferencing the dominant group so it's like trying to be neutral like you just you got to be pro-species like anti-species and their attempt to be neutral is just totally species it's totally human centric yeah abc's got a pretty bad track record i I remember a few years ago they did a a piece on cockfighting mm. <laughs> they were from talking about cockfighting in yeah. um in the philippines and i emailed them about that yeah. just like oh you know we try to be neutral but yeah they were so what was the gist of the story they were talking about how cockfighting was a traditional sport in philippines mm. Mm. And, and same as they often just have like here's a new animal born in the zoo or it's this animal's birthday and it's basically a fluff piece for the zoo it's definitely not neutral it's not putting out you know here are the reasons against zoos mm. as well in terms of being animal prisons it's just basically like yeah isn't this zoo great so it's like yeah they're not neutral at all but yeah again being neutral often just conforms to the dominant sort of system or ideology in mm. that in that society they don't even the, see the animal issue I don't think no, no true and I just think for people who maybe can't really see this uh, or aren't really in the animal rights scene, if you think of it from a human rights perspective, when, uh, you know, there was, like, legal slavery happening, uh, if if the slaves weren't getting their production up or if, if there were, like, the slaves were ill and were dying, then that was a bad thing for the slave owners. They're having an economic loss. Mm. And it's the same kind of thing is happening here. Instead of, you know, now humans would see the slaves as the victims – but if you're talking from people that were pro-slave owning, it was like, no, the slave owner is the victim. They're losing production. They're losing money. And this is the thing that's brought back to you again and again. Well, I was doing a radio interview and they were like, well, why aren't you thinking about the workers? Mm. And I'm like, I come from a workers' rights background. I've worked in unions, employment law for employees. Mm. And I've, I've, that does matter. But they, they brought up the same arguments with slavery. Mm. And that but those people, yes, it was going to have an economic impact. I mean, people talk about the great rise of the economy in the US is built on slavery. Mm. Um, so that is going to have an economic impact, but we've got to also think about the actual victims. Yeah, and I think shifting away from jobs, there was an interesting sociological analysis about this being this decline in manufacturing and a lot of people saying, like, they're, like we need our jobs, like, they're taking our jobs. Uh, and that is, like, often a racist angle in terms of immigrants, but also a sexist angle because we've seen in the West a decline in manufacturing and a rise in the service economy, which is done by women. So it's like mm. they, like, women are taking our jobs. We've seen that move, that shift. And as sociologists point out, like, where did you get the idea it was your job? So there's that entitlement male entitlement over these jobs. And we see that with uh, things like manufacturing, but also I'd say animal agriculture too. There's just the idea that this job should exist regardless of the environmental impact, regardless of the ethics or anything like that, it should just exist. And one, one job we've seen decline just due to change in the economy and those kind of things is receptionists. Receptionists used to be a common job as pretty much non-existent because of email on those kind of things and as far as I know people can correct me if I'm wrong there wasn't this upcry from women saying they're, take, they're taking our jobs we're losing our jobs it's okay the, the society's moved there's been changes in the economy and changes in technology now receptionists are no longer needed and women I've went into other areas I've never heard that angle work. brought up yeah. ever about yeah. the reduction of receptionists mm. no. no it's never been this job should exist whether it makes sense or not it should just exist but, it used to be the only yeah. job that women could do mm. you know the yeah. reception secretary that that mm. was like all the, the narrow field that the women were allowed to work in yeah so I was kind of thinking this animal agriculture being quite a male dominated job it, there's the idea should just exist it doesn't have to justify itself in any way and again i think this is generally we only see this with male dominated jobs mm. Mm. 
Yeah, and I did want to give one final um, shout out, and then we're going to move on to a vegan story from Katie. But uh, Vegan Australia have been working on um, supporting sanctuaries through the drought. So they obviously are affected by this drought as well in terms of mm. actually taking care of these animals and letting them live out their lives as best as possible. So go to veganaustralia.com and you can find out about this initiative to, yeah, rather than to support these animal exploiting industries, actually, yes, help um, animal sanctuaries get through the farm. They're not, I was watching the cricket, every boundary hit in the test match was given to, like there was a certain amount donated to the farmers, but that, that same amount isn't being donated to animal sanctuaries. That makes sanctuaries, no sense so. to me, every bound. Do you know cricket? Oh, um, every four or six, a certain amount got donated still, to the farmers. Still, that would make sense to a people Okay, <laughs> yeah. Basically, the cricket Big game, hits, big yeah, runs. Big hits, money donated, uh, but not to the sanctuaries. So they're actually encouraging vegans to actually donate directly to the sanctuary. That's a good idea because, because they are, of course, they're affected. And yep. I guess this is how... The world that we want to create, we're creating now, these mm. farmed animals that are rescued and placed in sanctuaries and taken care of until the end of their natural life. Mm. That's that's the world we want to live in. That's the world that we we are creating as animal rights activists and people now. Yep. So veganaustralia.com, you can find out all about that. But we'll go on to a vegan story. Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about the rise of veganism worldwide because I think that it's actually amazing the way that it's taken off i've been a vegan for 10 years and i can't believe it and i mean certainly people that were vegan there's been you know since the word was invented or even longer than that there were people that have been living as as vegans but i really can't believe it just in the the 10 years that i've been a vegan and i just found a couple of news stories um so a recent survey uh roy roy morgan research found 2.1 um million of us uh it says choose to eat free, eat sorry, meat free. Um, but I think what's really interesting is it's talking about that vegeta- uh, veganism was once just a fringe movement of vegetarianism, and now it's really expanded beyond that, and it's become the dominant thing. And when you go mm. to when people talk about animal rights and animal rights rallies, like the number of vegetarians I think is so minimal compared to the number of vegans. It's become like you care about animal rights, you go vegan. Um, and there are the vegetarians tend to more be on their way to being vegan or they're kind of outside the movement and don't really think about mm. animals that much. Yeah. yeah, And I think that linking it to discussions in the animal advocacy movement, I know there was a lot of the time there was uh, festivals would call themselves vegetarian festivals, even though it was always vegan. But there was idea, that idea, that word was less off-putting. Mm. And yeah, I remember hearing a podcast saying like, why are we still using this term? Like vegan is the cool thing. Like vegetarian seems so like outdated now. And I think True. there is that huge move to embrace the term, even groups like Peter or, or say go veg and those kind of things are increasingly mm. using vegan and, and yeah. festivals being called vegan. So I think it has reached that point where it's no longer really off-putting to many people. And it has become quite a, almost a trendy thing, but also a, like not like paleo or something where it kind of is popular and then like for 10 minutes later no one cares like exactly. it's, it's just gone up and up like exactly yeah, yeah. it's just the the exponential growth has been amazing and so i was just reading uh it's a sunday times article from perth and they're talking about how vegans gone from this small thing to something mm. like that everyone's like looking at and thinking about uh they talk about um australia's packaged vegan food industry is worth will be worth 215 million by 2020 so it's the world's third fastest growing market behind china and the united arab emirates the united arab emirates surprised me because i haven't really heard about that in relation to vegan food yeah. uh so they said now it's become part of the mainstream food scene and we've seen that if you look at 
uh, menu, sometimes they just say vegan option, gluten-free option. They don't even have vegetarian as a thing. Mm. I went to a, um, a Mexican restaurant and by default... Um, the nachos came with vegan sour cream. You didn't even request it. That was the de- default. And this is a, a an omni restaurant that's serving meat as well. But just mm. by default, they made things, um, the dairy products were vegan. Mm. And it's more inclusive. Obviously, the vegetarians can eat the vegan food. Yeah, anyway, it was funny because so, I, yeah. I went with a, um, a bunch of um, omni friends and they're just like, oh, this tastes really good. And they're like, so what do you, how do you make vegan sour cream? And I was telling them like the ones that we make with like the tofu, like silken tofu and maple syrup and mm. how it's, it's actually like really healthy. Yeah, yeah, it tastes amazing. Or you can also get it now from the supermarket if you want. Yeah, the you can get it from the supermarket. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, of, and I think um, you know that's obviously um, some people then go, they're like, oh, I don't want the tofu. It's full of numbers and all this unusual stuff. And when I told them, oh, you can just make whip it up with tofu, they're like, really? Mm. And it tastes amazing. One, one way I've been noticing it is is really um, in the zeitgeist, I suppose, at the moment is YouTube. Uh, sorry, Netflix um, comedy specials. They're always there's almost every comedian that I um I've seen in the last sort of four or five months has had a vegan bit in it. Really? Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, being nasty, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a that's it. But so many have had it. Yeah. And also, um, just to, just like new shows that are coming out, like there's one on Netflix, Sex Education, where it has um the vegans, and you know, again, they're they're portraying them a bit negatively, mm. but because they're there, yeah, they're they're in quite a few shows and things like that. They're, yeah, they get there's a mention. Yeah, so it's, and, it's and really we, in the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. And I think we shouldn't underestimate that because maybe ten or so years ago, it would be they'd make fun of the vegetarian. Yeah. Exactly. The, 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 what is a vegan? Yeah, they wouldn't know. They, they wouldn't they would use know. that term because people weren't familiar. And now, like whether you know Family Guy or South Park or whatever, are using vegan, even if the portrayal is negative, but they can just put out there that shows everyone knows what it means and they can actually use it so it shows a lot of progress even if it is kind of and, being and made what's that of. quote first they ignore us then they mock us yeah and then they Thank accept you, you. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. um it's it's just uh i have seen like in pop culture the representation of vegans has shifted a lot mm. and they're becoming much more there and much mm. more present mm. well, and i think we've seen that in, in sports as well, you were just talking about cricket. Mm. But, um, Nick, you follow the cricket quite a mm. bit. Tell me about all the vegan cricketers. That yeah, you've so been, P- P- Peter Siddle is, uh, yeah, he's been 12th mm. man light on the edge of the Australian team. There's Adam Zamper who played in the Australian one-day team. There's Nick Madison who plays for Victoria. Did you say there, there was some a, Indian players that were oh, um Yeah, Kohli, the best cricketer in the world, is a vegan as wow. well from India. Oh, cool. So, yeah, there's, there's And we've seen few, that, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm quite into Aussie rules. We've seen mm. a few Aussie rules footballers Yeah, Chris going, Main. From Collingwood, yeah, and yeah. Um, Ben Brown. Ben Brown, ben yeah, Brown as he was well. leading goal kicker, leading yeah. goal kicker yeah. for North Melbourne, yeah. Um, and there's been like UFC fighters that have mm. that have done it, and I think they've helped each other out in terms of getting things like vegan suits and those kind of things. Like there, I think um, Ben Brown got some advice from Peter Peter Siddle. Or those Didn't kind they of do things, a little so. video clip that was about getting a vegan suit? Yeah, that was on Ben Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. And it's kind of being shared in so these non-vegan sports. So it's been talked about in sport, spaces. and the yeah. commentators talk about it as well, yeah. don't they? That yeah. people, that these people are, are vegan, and Peter Siddle, mm. like, is you know, um, they talk about like how many bananas he eats a day, and mm. like how he's he's doing well, and. Chris Main is doing has come back into yeah had a really good as season the, as the Collingwood team nearly got a premiership unfortunately didn't quite but oh, that was that was good <laughs> what, what, but why we're talking about veganism I know Adam you've been doing a bit of work in your local community with the vegan restaurants in terms of identified do you want to quickly mention that I thought that was yeah, quite yeah, a good yeah. thing so, Bill can do so down in Port Arlington um, there's just been a whole bunch of 
little places pop up with vegan options and things. And Port Arlington is a tiny little town. On How the far coast. from Geelong is so, it? So Geelong's an hour away from Melbourne and Port Arlington's 35 minutes or 30 minutes away from Geelong. So it's about an hour and a half away from um, Melbourne along the bay, the coast of the bay, tip of the bay. Um, and yeah, so there's vegan donuts down there now. There's vegan um, uh, kebabs and the golf club has a vegan menu. The mm. golf club. This town, has, this, <laughs> this town has a like a, a, a constant population of about... Two and a half thousand people. Wow! It grows in summer, but it's a small town. Um, but yeah, I've been going around. We also have um, several local wineries on the Port Arlington Road, and the the local winery, one of the local wineries, has a vegan pizza, wood fired pizza oh. with vegan cheese. Really? Yeah. Um, each of the wineries I've contacted so far, three of them have gotten back to me, and. All of them have vegan wines. Their latest. So what I've noticed last year when I went and asked the same thing. Their latest wines are vegan and their mm. older versions aren't. So oh. they're actually getting on board. Moving mm. in that direction. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And mm. the cafes, cafes and places are vegan. So what I'm doing is I'm going around to each of the places. Oh, there's a there's a new wine bar and it's got a vegan a vegan cheese board. Oh and my it has god. Like good good vegan cheeses. <laughs> oh my like god. Botanical cuisine. Because vegan and, cheese board, that's pretty hard to come by. Yeah. Mm. That sounds so, amazing. So I'm going to all the different places and I'm gonna do like a little um, vegan Port Arlington thing oh. that I can share. Because there's a there's a ferry. If you're in Melbourne and mm-hmm. you want to come down, grab the ferry. And we'll start doing vegan tours. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to put it on come Happy to, Cow, which yeah, is... Come, um, come do a vegan wine wine mm-hmm. tour and mm-hmm. have some vegan donuts and some vegan kebabs. You should mm-hmm. put it on Happy Cow. Yeah, well, I don't know if you already have, but... Yeah, well, I was going to say that, and Katie does a lot of work with Happy Cow, but I think doing that kind of thing in local community is really good, and then you could put it up online on a blog or on uh, social media or whatever. But then also, I think it's also good if people can also add those places to Happy Cow to sort of expand that as and well. And Happy Cow, just for those who don't yeah. know, it's a website and an app where you can find vegan-friendly places around the world. It's really great for travel. I'm a Happy Cow ambassador for St Kilda. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I think you were saying, Nick, that they've moved more in the vegan direction as well. Yeah, you? they have. Because in the past, like sometimes you'd come across a restaurant where it's like they're not very vegan friendly, but they do have a lot of vegetarian options. Whereas now those kind of places are getting removed if they don't have vegan food. Yeah. So it definitely started off as a vegetarian app. And there is still that focus in that, you know, if you're not vegetarian restaurant, you can't get more than four stars, I think it is, yeah. rather than a vegan restaurant. So there is there's still that lingering, but they've definitely moved in a vegan direction. For sure. And I, I think there's just been a, a, f- a few quick things to mention mentioned you know domino's having the vegan cheese which sold out so quickly has come back zambrero's having the vegan cheese now um you've got magnum and cornetto make vegan magnums and cornettos which is i still haven't tried vegan baileys oh the cornetto what's that pretty good yeah because i i was when i was in italy studying um the weird thing is um magnum streets over there make heaps of vegan stuff in in Mm. europe but not here And I was having a vegan cornetto for breakfast like most days when I was initially. Mm, and then I, you come back right. here and it's like, where's the streets? Where's the streets vegan ice cream? Mm. So I think we are actually about out of time. Well, there's so, a Ben and Jerry's as well. Okay. And the, and yeah. the Hungry Jacks have a vegan cheeseburger. Yeah. I mean, so it's, any other corporations to promote before we go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no okay. <laughs> support, support your all vegan and local businesses like Over the Moo and Panna Chocolate do great vegan ice cream. And those mm-hmm. are actually in like Coles and Woolworths and stuff now. Those, those like minor products. I couldn't so find you got another two corporations in there. <laughs> They're local businesses. Coles and Woolworths, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. IGAs. Uh, um, so, yeah, we are out of time, but we'll put a link up to the news. I was going to say news stories, but maybe news story at uh, freedomofspecies.org. 
www.thegreatdebate.org. Then you find the links from today's episode. A reminder, our show is one till two every Sunday. Um, and yeah, you can listen live on 855am and also via the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. All our previous podcasts are available on our website, freedomofspecies.org, as well as on iTunes. If you do have any uh, feedback or also any news stories you'd like to discuss, we're info at freedomofspecies.org. In terms of email, you can also search us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at FOS Radio. Uh, thanks to Adam and Katie for joining me today. It's been good, uh, good fun discussing some of these news stories. And yes, make sure you stay tuned to uh, stay tuned for Encyclopedia. We're going to finish up with a track, a vegan theme song. This is Citizen Fish with Flesh and Blood. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.